the Democratic National Convention, the Republican National Convention, but we want to talk about what's going on in these areas. I'm from Dallas. I live in Baton Rouge. I am a black woman with black siblings, with a black, you know, significant other black parents. So it's important to me on that side, and it's important to all of us for different reasons, but we think the conversation needs to be had. Um, unfortunately, one of the Fab Five is not here. Um, she decided to take this opportunity to step back because she didn't think that her part in the conversation was necessary. So we wish you were here. If you'd like to hear her voice, you can always hit her up on Facebook and ask her what she thinks. But for right now, we're going to go with the Fab Four. Yay! Yay. <laughs> Michael, Blake, Chantron, Renee. Woo! Bro! <laughs> so on another note, Should I think we're going to start the question with, like, just play the scenario in your head with us, right? So... Hey girl, how you doing? All of you guys are here. Maybe we're leaving a beignets and mimosas event. We had brunch and we all get in our cars and we're headed out and we hear those sirens, right? Um, beep, beep, or bleep, bleep, as my friend says. And we get pulled over and we already know how this situation can go. How do you guys feel about the possibility that every time you get in your car, there's a potential that you might have one of those situations and what can we do to not have those? Um, first thing is, I don't think there's anything you can do to not have those because I feel like it's not just being in your car or, you know, doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing. Because we've seen instances of where, like, people are minding their own business. Trayvon Martin was walking in his neighborhood home with Skittles and a tea. Sandra Bland was on her way to a job. Um, I, excuse me for not knowing his name. The behavior therapist that was working with his client was, like, doing his job. That was really cool. Yeah, I don't think there's anything that you can or can't do to prevent the situation. I don't necessarily know how I react in the situation. I think that I would be very terrified with everything that we have going on right now. Um, I don't know how I'd react. I've only had, well, I can't lie. I've had a couple, but one that stays in my mind. I had this interaction with a cop. So basically they were doing road work. I know the rule, like when you're doing road work and there's signs, you have to follow them. But they were putting the signs out as I was driving to get to my house. So the police were telling everybody to go, but there was a light. And so I look at the construction worker because I don't know who he's talking to. I said, can I go right here? Because you haven't put the cones out. So I go and I turn to go to my house, down the service road. This police officer pulls me over, gets out the car. Before I can roll the window down already, he's almost in my car. He's yelling at me. I can feel his breath on my face. And I just bust out crying. Because I'm not, I'm sorry, y'all. When I got a detention, I was yeah. sad. I didn't go to the principal's <laughs> office. I'm like, what did I do yeah. wrong? I didn't know. And like, he was like, I told you. And it was almost like he was on a power trip. Like, I defied him. And it was the word. I was like, he's like, you have a thousand dollar fine. You're going to get a ticket. What? He's like, you know what? And like, it was almost like, you did not listen to me. And so now you have to feel the wrath. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my God, I've never had an interaction with. I said, that man told me I can go in And so the actual, the construction worker who happened to be a white man was like, officer i told her that she could go i hadn't put the sign out yet he was like oh okay so in that situation there was no way i could prevent it and i didn't know what to do when yeah. i got there either now granted this was years ago but it was scary yeah i've only ever been pulled over by the police one time and i was in high school and i was very clearly in the wrong i was like um speeding home i was i had driven to school and like was speeding home one day to get home and the police officer pulled me over and i just burst into tears one because i was scared i was in high school and i was like if i get a ticket my dad is gonna kill me and <laughs> But it was a very different situation than how I would feel now being pulled over by a police. Like, right after, um, I don't know if it was a Dallas, I think it was a Dallas shooting. Right afterwards, I remember 
driving from one of my students' houses that I tutored and being, like, nervous that a police car was behind me and being, like, mm-hmm. if someone pulls me over, do I call somebody? Do I put it on speakerphone? Do I put it, do I put it, like, do I call? But then also, if I call and something happens to me, is 911 going to release those tapes or it's going to take two years and my death is just going to go, you know, unnoticed? Or not unnoticed, but un without justice being served. Not that these people have had justice served, but, like, what do you do in that situation? So, I mean, this isn't, like, a... A new thing, you know what I mean? This is something Mm -hmm. that the African-American community specifically has had a disproportional rate of police brutality Mm -hmm. towards it. And so... If you're in a black and brown body, it's hard out here. It is. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that police brutality doesn't happen everywhere that it does. But when you look at the... But we're disproportionately affected by it. And 40% of the police Yeah, we're disproportionately affected by it, so it was like we're the canary sounding the alarm. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that, you know, the question is, what do you do in that situation? Well, honestly, you do what we've been continuing to do. The only difference between what's going on now and what was going on then is that back in the day back during civil rights movement and even back during like the 80s and the early 90s right, when you yeah. had like I mean people everybody flocked to the movies to watch straight out of Compton mm-hmm. about these kids that were rapping about what they saw in their neighborhood mm-hmm. the only difference no but the only difference now is the people who are listening that's the only difference the conversation platform. that you're having this with is no yeah. longer yeah but it's no longer just with your individual community with people who are having the same thing happen to them, it's a conversation that's being had with everybody. And so you have these certain people that have different opinions and people who have not had this happen to them that are trying to understand. Some people are struggling to understand. Some people get it right away. But the conversation is being had on a larger platform, and I feel like this is the first time that the African-American community honestly feels as though something could be done about it. Whereas before it was a, listen... When you get pulled over, (laughs) you learn to survive. Whereas now it's like, we shouldn't have to do that. That's not a, in this day and age and in this time, that's not something, right. That's not something that we should just accept. Mm -hmm. And I I honestly think that that's the only difference. Like this Mm -hmm. isn't anything new. Yeah. And I think with the, the growing, you know, the way technology has grown with social media, it's so much easier to get stuff out, to show what's going on and to show how things can change. Um, I remember this was the first Essence Festival right after uh, Katrina. And my uncle had gotten me a ticket. And my friend was dropping me off. And I remember getting pulled over by the cops. And it was just so scary because there was no reason that they pulled us over. They didn't give us a ticket. They pulled us over. They talked to us. And that was it. And we were like, can we ask why we were pulled over? And they were just like, no. And I talked to my brother-in-law, who is a police officer, and he said, whenever you get pulled over, you have the right to ask them why they're pulling you over. Mm-hmm. You before you give them yeah, anything. You, mm-hmm. Before you give them anything. ID, they're supposed to tell you why you're being pulled over. And it supposed was just so, to. it was like so unsettling and, and upsetting that I didn't even go to Essence Fest. I wasn't in the mood anymore. And I felt like I let my uncle down because he paid for the ticket. But the mood that I was in, I was scared. Like, I mean... To have somebody in that powerful position with that much authority to just pull me over just because they felt like it and they were on a power trip, it was a little... Very violating. Mm-hmm. I think going kind of back to what Renee was saying, I think that 
it's not different. I think now that we have a bigger platform and it's it's outreaching other communities, whereas before it's sort of like and it brings me like back to like thinking about like Emmett Till, like it was a big issue because you saw the casket of this boy whose face was bloated and beaten and he was, what, 14? So, it, like, it reached such a larger platform and it made people wake up. Or, like, even thinking about the the um, the marches with King, like, it made such a big impact because now it was in people's living rooms. Like, you could see it on TV. It was, it was different. Like, it's not like those beatings hadn't been occurring every week in different people's neighborhoods and different people's communities and different it's people's been colleges. It's been a, yeah, but when it's... It's so visual, even for black people. I think some black people who maybe live maybe up north or didn't, you know, were more segregated populations where it wasn't, it didn't sort of like, it didn't affect them as much. It affects you, obviously. But like when it's not in your face, it's like, oh crap. Like, yeah, like this, it's real and it exists. And like for me, like even with the killings recently, like it was, I felt something and I felt a drive to want to do something. But I think when it hits so close to home in Baton Rouge, it's terrified me. Like, I remember looking at the video of his son, and it was, like, in between classes when I was teaching and wanting to cry and being like, I can't cry in front of my students because you're not supposed to cry in front of your kids when you're a teacher. Mm-hmm. But, like, being like, oh, my, like, it terrified me. It still scares me now. Yeah, I remember, what was that was that Sunday? I don't know what exactly what day it was, but we were here shooting a podcast, and I just felt overwhelmed and kind of broke down before we even started because of, you know, I mean, I had some personal issues too, but that was like the biggest one to me. It, it was so close to home. It was right in Baton Rouge. And I have a brother-in-law who is a police officer. So I just always think about how uncomfortable and awkward it, it must be for them to, you know, be at work and have to fear for their lives. And then you have citizens that you're trying to protect and serve and they feel, you know, they feel the same way. It's like two opposing sides. Yeah, so going to the police officer piece, I don't have anyone in my family or close to me that's a police officer. I know I've met a few just living here for a while, and I've actually never had an issue with them. But then again, like, I knew you in casual settings, like, your wife had a baby, how's she doing, whatever. Um, But I wonder how it feels for the families of cops in general, but especially black cops. Because, again, our our narrative in our community is, right, like, not that cops are necessarily bad, but you do have to watch out. Like, even in our own community, we say, or Shaft said it, right? I'm too too black for the blue and too blue for the black. Like, basically, like, being a cop as a black man is, like, existing in this weird limbo yeah. type yeah. space. Yeah, yeah, like, so being on that side where, like, I love you black man in blue, what does that feel like? What does that look like? Because for me, I only have to be scared because you're black. And the thing about a cop is when you take off that uniform, there's no way for them to know you're a cop. Yeah, yeah, and they've they've had instances of cops being pulled over yes, and mistreated because the arresting officer or the I don't know what to call him, but didn't know that the other person was a cop right. and they, thought they, they were just a regular. Their car. Yeah, yeah. Thought I mean, was a regular black person. Y'all heard about Dr. Dre getting like cuffed, handcuffed as at his house and having his whole house searched by police officers just because of, of a road rage incident where somebody called in to nine one one and said he had a gun. No I gun was that. found on his person. It was just recently happened. No gun was found oh, on his person, on his in his own house. They pulled out in front of his own home. He came you outside and told them to leave. That support? was the crazy part. Like they called and said that he had a gun, not that he was threatening anybody. And no gun was found. He didn't have a gun. But did they hey, have a search warrant? You can't just he might have let them search it though. He probably was. You know what I mean? Like he he might have given them permission because he knew he didn't have a gun. Yeah. 
But I'm just saying, like, stuff like that happens all the time. And you, I'm wondering, like, I mean, Dr. Dre, if you see him lately, if you saw him in person, you probably wouldn't quite know that that was Dr. Dre. But I guarantee you that if you see Dr. Dre in front of his house, you start to put two and two together. This so I'm really <laughs> like, he's, he's not living in the type of houses he's on the wall. You see? <laughs> he's not like, And he's I'm not just, living in the type of houses we living in. So. <laughs> of that I mean just a couple of years ago I'll never forget the day I was sitting there um I don't know if you guys are familiar with Henry Louis Gates you know who Henry yes, Louis I Gates know. is yes, I love him I love him too but you know we went to HBCU where mm-hmm. Henry, Henry Louis Gates and Cornel West are like regulars mm-hmm. in our yeah. in our conversations but most of America is not familiar with Henry who Henry Louis Gates is no matter how many shows he's had on PBS no, how, no matter how many different shows I love PBS I don't know what you're talking yeah. about <laughs> But, um, no, so no matter how many shows he's had, the majority of America still has no idea who he is. Um, so for anybody listening who doesn't know who he is, he is a professor. Um, he's he's actually, he's, yeah. he's a professor and a historian, but most recently, I think back when this happened, he was a professor at Harvard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he had just moved into a brand new gorgeous home and was going into his house, and one of his neighbors saw him going into the house I and called the cops. Mm-hmm. And reported that there was a black man breaking into one of the one of the neighbors' homes, one of the neighboring homes. Knew that the house had been empty and up for sale, <laughs> but still reported that this African American man oh, with like you know with probably with suitcases and bags and stuff <laughs> was Water. coming into the house. And they showed up and they actually arrested him, put handcuffs on him, arrested him, and took him into the into the precinct, and then asked him for proof. Of his residency at this house. He could have done all of this at his house. And I'm just like, I can't, right, exactly. And this is something that I really want to discuss because I feel like a lot of people do struggle to understand that if they were placed in that situation, they would have certain expectations Mm -hmm. of how that situation would go. But as an African American, considering how we've been dealing with the police for the last 60, 70, 100 years, the um, old 240. Yeah. What do you mean? Right. Of course, I'm sorry, y'all. I'm exactly. Sorry. <laughs> the math don't count. The math don't matter. Math always point. counts. <laughs> sorry, Miss Clark. Is a sorry, Miss. Sorry, Miss Clark. <laughs> no, but I mean, considering how we've been dealing with him, you know, in that situation, he did. The man at least did what he knew what he knew how to do. You know, yeah. he was like. There's a picture of him, like, but we're yeah, but, to do but, but, and it ends up like I'm real confused as to what's going on. And that doesn't always protect you, like, no, um, it doesn't. And that's my, the point. So, my dad was telling me one of my cousins was killed in front of their house by police officers when my dad was young. Um, I'm not sure how though, it was in the 70s, so my dad had to be maybe 10 or 11, like, he was fairly young. Um, he might even be younger than that because I think he said it was 74. Yeah, it might have been. Yeah, it counts. Um, And my dad said my cousin was 6'5, 6'3, whatever. And they had mistaken him for someone else, but he was like talking to police officers and being, you know, polite and answering their questions and like dropped his hat and went down. I don't know if he dropped his hat and went down to pick it up. My dad said he was shot in the back of the head by the police. And the only witness to it was a little boy who was like five or six. And so they didn't use his testimony. And so my cousin's death was never prosecuted. But you could be doing the right thing. The man recently was on the ground, hands up, hands in the air, saying, I'm a and therapist, this is my client. Him. 
and still shot. And when asked why, all they could say was, I don't know. So and, or, and, yeah. with and that's a problem, though. Like, why is it that when that man, and that's that's what the issue really is about, when they say black lives matter, and some people just really don't grasp the fact that for some reason, these police officers go through all this training. You have to go to the police academy. They're conditioned. They're mm-hmm. conditioned. And why is it that these police officers are leaving this academy and going to do their job? And they're, and conditioned. they're conditioned to see an African American in general as a larger threat. Yeah. And that, and my understanding, and I could be wrong, and those of you that are police officers, please correct me if I am. No, my understanding that, no, no, no. I'm not saying all of them. My understanding that was when you went to the police academy, you weren't taught to kill to shoot you yeah, weren't you're not you're not, you're, not you're, yeah. you're, you're taught to disarm disabled but they're shooting these men in their chest they're shooting these men in their heads yeah. they're shooting these men in places that you cannot well you can survive because people it's obviously survive mm-hmm. but it's very difficult you're not shooting to disarm that's a, that's a kill shoot you're not yeah you're shooting so one thing that, um, or you're shooting them point blank someone very close to me who i love who also happens to be are not aware 
of the of, of, of the situations that are happening in neighborhoods that are not their own. They need to wake up. No, mm-hmm. right, and exactly. And in this day and age with social media and media, there is no, I feel like they're almost getting shamed into the idea that there's no wiggle room, there's no space for willful ignorance anymore because it's right there. That's exactly It's right in front of you. Like, it's on you're your on social your media. It's on, you're choosing to ignore it. Yeah. Right. yeah. But, you know, some people can't even see that that's a choice that they're making. Yeah. Like, it because really is so deeply, but it really is so deeply rooted that there is, like, a social mm-hmm. awareness that's happening. Because, I, I mean, I always say, and I've commended all of my Facebook friends. I go on my Facebook, and I don't know if you guys have seen my Facebook, but we have these conversations because I'm an avid supporter of Black Lives Matter, and I know some people that don't necessarily support it, but we're able to have the conversations about it. And I always say, I go on my Facebook page, and I see these people say, oh, I lost friends this week because I'm supporting Black Lives Matter, yeah, and they don't agree with me, and blah, blah, blah. Right. Then it's not a friend. But let me tell you, <laughs> my number of Facebook friends is, is – 1,514 and it was 1,514 four months ago before I started really supporting Black Lives Matter. So I could, no, nobody's, I mean, as as much as they can disagree with something that I've said, it's the fact that they're even willing to have the conversation. That's that's a big step up. But I mean, that's, but that's a huge step up from considering from where we were, you know, even just 10 years ago. I mean, I was sitting here thinking about this in the car the other day, just about like how when I was in the seventh grade, I got my first, was it, yeah, it was a B, because I didn't get, I didn't get my first C until I was in eighth grade. I got my first B <laughs> from, of, of uh, my middle school career in the seventh grade, and it was on an English paper, and I didn't understand, because I had worked hard on this English paper, I was good at English, I knew I was good at English, I knew I could write that paper. And I, I literally cried. I came home and I was like, I don't understand. It was a B minus too. I was like, I don't understand why I have a B minus. As if the minus makes it. Yeah. The minus made it hurt. It hurt. Trust me. That minus was like, oh. Yeah. No, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, why did she have to put that minus there? Right. I barely had a B. And so I went home and I talked to my, you know, my mom. And my mom was like, well, you know what? Go to your teacher. Ask her what you can do to improve. And find out, you know, why. And that, oh, that way, yeah. I know my mom, <laughs> wait for mama to show up, though. So I told my mom show this. Up show up. Oh, she did. I told my mom this, and I took her advice. I went to school the next day. I had my paper. I was ready for her to tell me what it was that I did wrong, because this wasn't going to happen again. <laughs> and my teacher basically kind of ignored it. was like, oh, you got that, because I felt like that was what you deserved on the paper. And I was like, okay, can you explain to me why? So that way, the next time I, you know, I can do better. And she really didn't answer the question, and I was so frustrated because I was like, she basically just kind of ignored it and was like, well, you gotta be because you gotta be. So I go home and I told my mom this, and my mom was like, okay, well, I'll go have a conversation with her. So my mom goes to the school, and she talks to this lady. And mind you, this is at a, uh, it was a magnet middle school in Birmingham, Alabama predominantly African-American. This class was taught by a Caucasian woman at a predominantly African-American school. So these co- these comments... No, no, no. It meant that these comments weren't expected mm-hmm. is what it meant. So when my mom goes in and talks to the lady, she actually looks at my mother and says, well, I don't understand what the problem is. A B-minus isn't a bad grade for a black girl. No! Mama showed up and showed out. Then I have to but- <laughs> But honestly, but honestly, at that point in my life, before that, I'd only ever really confronted racism once in my life. I was fortunate enough to have been put in situations where it was never 
in the forefront where I was actually confronting it. And my parents did a very good job of, of trying to make sure that I had a good childhood and one where I can enjoy just my childhood. That was the second time in my life where I've ever been confronted with it, and it has always stayed with me. Yeah, I could that she just that's looked so at. I mean, yeah. just I mean, I'm I sitting less here. Less than because of the color of my skin. Yeah, or I sh- yeah. I can only reach the ceiling because of the color. However, of my skin. that teacher maybe last week. I think she was gone the next week, uh, and then we had a <laughs> substitute for yeah, the rest of the year. But I mean, and but my whole they thing though so. is that these are not <laughs> these are lessons that unfortunately. And this is for all of all of my white friends, all of my Latino friends, all of my Indian friends. People don't. No, 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 no. But this is a lesson for all of my friends Mm -hmm. of any color to just really understand that these are the lessons and the teachings that young African American kids go through. These are the lessons that we get taught by life every day, and that's why. My mama said, "Oh, I was seeing if it came off." And my mother is light, bright, looks Latino. Yeah, like I remember a similar instance of being in school and like. We were in sixth grade, and so we had junior high where you enter junior high in seventh grade. And, like, I had always gotten straight A's in school and every subject. Like, I'm a nerd. I love reading. Like, punishments was, like, to not go to the library or whatever. <laughs> and my, like, so the teacher would recommend you. you to go to the higher math class or go to the regular math class. And he was like, well, I'm not recommending Blake to go to the higher math class. And my parents were like, I don't understand why you wouldn't recommend her. Like, she's had straight A's her entire career. Why would you not recommend her? He's like, I just don't think she's prepared for it. And so then what he had to do, so my parents brought to the principal, so what he had to do in order to, like, prove that I didn't belong was he had to give all the students a placement test. Show up and show out, but... I still made it. (laughs) (laughs) Still Uh, made all the classes. And, like, I I still remember, like, I remember, so a couple years later, I went back home to visit my dad, and I remember seeing him on the ferry and being like, oh, I know I'm really well. I'm I'm in college, like, about to... I don't think I was about to graduate, but, like, I think I had just... It must have not been. I, had, I think it was, like, my sophomore, it was in my sophomore year at college. But I also remember, like, so I don't know. If you've never seen my dad, my dad, like, and Monica and Chantrell can contest or, you know, attest to it. Like, my dad is very clean cut. My dad is, like, a military man. And I remember, like, as a family, we went to the store, and these ladies followed us around. And, like, my dad was, like, my dad, like, and that was a conversation, like, I had to have with my dad. And my little brother, my little sister was there, and my brother was there. And, like, it's a family of five of us. And, like, I think we were coming from church. So we're in, like, our church clothes. Like, lady <laughs> followed us. under my tools. Yeah. <laughs> like, lady followed us around the store. Hello? Like, so it's just, for me, it's a little bit frustrating when people act like these things don't happen or they don't still happen in 2016. And I mean, obviously that was. President. I mean, obviously that was years and years mm-hmm. ago, but, like, people still call Michelle Obama a baboon. Mm-hmm. And, like, so for you to not recognize, like, that these things still happen. In 2016, and it's not only words. It's not only words. Like it's absolutely boggles my mind. But again, there is that awareness that I'm that I'm talking about because, like, think about it. Think about it though. Think about it though. We still have people that are alive today that were a part of the Nazi. No, the Nazi, the Nazi, the Nazi army. But we do still have people that are alive today. And after after World War II, these people really could not grasp. That they were on the wrong side of history, still can't understand that what they were doing was. I it's not like, an I'm awareness. Sorry. It's that not. It's a no. cop out. I think it's a I cop out a to cop say out. to say, "Oh, you're just not aware." Like it's everywhere. You're There's no you way choose you, you choose to ignore. You're That's choosing like saying, to ignore, oh, and you're saying, phone. "Is it a oh, choice if you're not aware?" It's a choice because you're aware. There's no way with social media, with the internet, with TV, with even if even if you don't have any friends of color. 
you see people posting but, stuff. Wait, here's the thing. So, like, you cannot say that you're not aware of what goes on in this world. You might say, but I've never experienced. But willful ignorance awareness. But no, I mean, nobody has How, to if be you're taught. Willfully ignorant, you're, then you're aware. aware. Yes. It's human Honestly, nature for you to care no, about No, you're somebody. choosing not to. It's human to. nature for you to know not to hurt someone. For these people to go through everything that they went through during the Holocaust and think that, oh, I, was on the, I, wasn't, I didn't know I was on the wrong side the whole time. You saw the stuff that they were doing to these people mm-hmm. that was physically hurting them, that was emotionally hurting them. I don't think that anyone should think it's okay to physically or emotionally hurt someone else. I mean, you, you wouldn't even do it to your pets. I mean, case in point, psychologically, um, for those of you guys who don't know, Blake and I and Chantro actually all yeah. have degrees in psychology. And so basic intro 101, you learn about the experiment where, and they were trying to study about yes. Nazi Germany, right? And like how they could do this to people because mm-hmm. in our very being, it should be wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we should have, have a version of hurting people. Be wrong, yeah. But what happens is the moment that we say you're not responsible or someone else told you to do it mm-hmm. or or they can't see you, or they won't know you, and that's when you get to willful ignorance. You can only get there when you think that you can get away with it, when you're not culpable and you don't have to, and that only comes from the privilege of whiteness. And not the even privilege of not being the privilege black. of power, because I will yeah, say, like, I think about the Hootsies and the was it the Hoot? I'm saying it wrong. The Tootsie the and the the Hootsie the. The Hutu, the Hutu, Hutu and, and the Tootsie. Tootsie. And I remember watching that movie and we talked about it. And I can't remember if we watched it in a history class or an English class or psychology class. Um, and talking about, like, how do you get to that point where it's okay to, like, carry a machete and kill people as you walk like, down the I street? Like, and then, from yeah, and then go home <laughs> and be with your wife and children. But, like, you start listening to the ad- announcements they were making on the, race, on the, on the radio. Yeah. And you start making these people not human or not part of you. So it's an us. Versus you, and they were calling them like animals and cockroaches, and look well, at the cockroaches, like, yeah. look at the animals, they don't look at the cannibalism. Yeah, you're not a part of me. Yeah, well, so mean, like you, you separate. It's that separation. But even if you have that separation, you still know like what I'm doing is not normal in any other <laughs> sense but if of the they world. Don't see it's human. If they yeah, it's a three fourths of a person. Yeah, right. And that is, and that's another thing. Like we are living in a country that was. Built. All of the systems the in this house, country, mm-hmm. no, but all of the systems in this country were built around the idea of oppression, of oppression of a specific race, mm-hmm. and well, people don't realize that. Americans yes, we've gone Americans. through all of these movements, but nothing has been done to change. Not one thing has been done to change the system. And you're right. Because the people and that are in power that are in charge of the system are not going to give up that well, system. But exactly. And the thing is, I think everybody should go online at this point and is watch. No, watch that YouTube video of Jane Elliott. I don't know if you guys have seen the blue eyed, brown eyed. Yeah, we will post it for those of you that have yeah, not we'll will post it. Post yeah. But that's exactly <laughs> what she was talking about. And that is exactly what she did. She basically did you what you were just talking trait. about mm-hmm. between the, the, toots, the Tootsie and the Hutu in her classroom by just dividing them. <laughs> and creating a system where yeah. you're dehumanizing. We do it in colors and, yeah. and everything else. Mm-hmm. Like even I had a conversation. I'm sorry. I, we, I had a conversation <laughs> earlier with my brother, and we got it got kind of heated because I was upset. Like he was saying, "Oh, white people have never done anything for us." Essentially, and I was like, "You, you cannot you keep, you can't keep creating this dichotomy between us versus them yeah, because that not perpetuates us them at and he all." Was like, well, I didn't create this. I was like, "I understand that you didn't create the system, but, but when you have that belief, you egg that system on yeah. and you perpetuate it, and you can keep you keep it going." Because now you no longer see them as someone that could, even if, and I'm not saying all white people good, all white people not bad, all black people not good, all black people are not bad. No, no, so, no. like, mm-hmm. you can't, 
create a system of us versus them and lump all people into one group. Because you're giving them that power. You're giving them that power. And so then you no longer see them as allies. So, like, the people in power really could care less about who's below them. They just want to stay in power. As they really keep walking on your back. Like, when you think about, like, poverty and stuff like so that, like, they, it, it has nothing to do, at, at a point, it has nothing to do with white versus versus black is sometimes when you think about poverty they just have to create these dichotomies they have to create these dichotomies between groups and so like i don't want to be black and poor i don't want to be white and poor but who's better like you know what i mean like so it creates yeah it creates these Mm -hmm. these dichotomies as long as i feel as though i am i can say that i'm better than Mm -hmm. then i am better than it's kind of like a mentality around it we say we're black and we're proud but i don't think that i don't think that we honestly think that we're better in essence i think that we think that we're better because we don't do to people what they do to us but we create the dichotomy in our own group like light skin versus dark skin so we didn't create that though we didn't well we 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 perpetuated it classism when we look down on each other yeah because you you feel you make more money than this person you know or even just with education yeah even with just education I mean, yeah, that's what I was telling you guys earlier. Like, I don't tell everyone my education level. I was telling Chantrell, you don't know what to tell everybody that you went to school all them years. Y'all know I thought about it the other night. Sidebar, I've only been out of school like five and a half to six years of my life. Goodness. How yes. does it feel? It's a long time. 